reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12 through to 27. Unity and diversity in the body. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given that one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, um, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honourable we treat with special honour, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Emma. Let's pray. Father, we thank you as always for your word. And I just pray that you teach us through your word this morning, all of us. Amen. When I was a small boy, I would be invited to birthday parties. And naturally, the expectation was that you would take a gift to the person whose birthday it was. And of course, being a small boy, I didn't actually buy the gift. My mum would go and buy the gift, and I would take it to the birthday party. My mother was and is wonderfully practical and very thoughtful. So whereas other children um, would be given uh, Lego models or um, Star Wars figures or the latest Tintin book to take, I would uh, be given a letter writing set. (laughs) Now, a letter writing set is um, every time. A letter writing... (laughs) A letter writing set is extremely helpful. It's a very useful gift. Um, This is back in the days, of course, when letter writing was uh, expected, and it was an art form. Nowadays, you just get a text, thanks for the gift. But back then, letter writing, thank you letters, was a big deal. 
So it was a very helpful, practical, useful present. But the problem was, at the age of seven or eight, I wasn't interested in being helpful or practical. I wanted to be the boy that gave the action man with all-seeing eyes or, or the latest joke toy or whatever. I, I can still vividly remember, honestly, vividly remember, standing as an eight-year-old in James Brazil's kitchen as he opened my gift. And he said, <laughs> he said, I knew that's what you'd give me. <laughs> I was forever the boy that gave the letter writing set. Now, um, I'm so sad. Um, we, we, might think, we might think that's a kind of childish approach to a childish thing. But actually, believe it or not, um, this isn't too dissimilar to what was happening in the church in Corinth in the passage that we've just had read for us. You see, these new Christians had been filled with the Holy Spirit and they had been given by their Father, their Heavenly Father, a gift. A gift not for themselves, but a gift to give to the church. A bit like my mum gave me a gift to give at these parties. The problem was that some of these more spectacular gifts, like probably speaking in tongues or prophecy, some of the more supernatural, amazing spiritual gifts were seen as way more special and important. And what had developed in the church in Corinth was a hierarchy of gift givers or gift sharers. So the people that gave tongues or gave prophecy were seen as far more important than people who did less spectacular gifts. And Paul is writing to teach them, quite simply, that hierarchy in a church, in a church community, is not acceptable. It's not how an authentic community should operate. And in doing so, he's reassuring both ends of the spectrum. He's reassuring those who feel their gift isn't very important. It's just a letter-writing set. He's reassuring those people, but he is also challenging and correcting those who had glorified some of the more spectacular gifts. And he uses, as we know, this metaphor of the body to help us understand this. Now, in this passage, it's specifically talking about some of the supernatural spiritual gifts. But actually, the same ethos, the same attitude can be applied to sharing of any gifts. Some of the more practical spiritual gifts, such as administration, hospitality, or serving. But I also think this can apply to any role within the church community where we serve each other. Whether it's on the kids' team, whether it's um, making coffee, whether it's being a life group leader, whether it's someone who gives financially, whether it's someone who welcomes you on the door. Whatever the role is, I think this idea of hierarchy can be applied and we must remove that from that situation, whatever the gift is. So, what does this passage teach us about authentic community? Well, I think it's, there's four points I want to make and uh, there's a summary on here. So these are the four points we're going to look at and I'm grateful for a book by David Pryor which was brilliant about this. So I've taken most of these from his book. We belong to one another, we need one another, we differ from one another, and we are to care for one another. Let's uh, go through these hopefully quite quickly. First of all, we belong to one another. 
Now, this is a really simple, I think, but obvious point, but sometimes we forget it. Belonging to the body, belonging to the community, is not optional. It's not optional. Verse 27 says, You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are part of his body. That is not an optional thing. You belong to his community. We've been celebrating the life of the queen. And as Christians, many of us have celebrated her faith. She was part of the body of Christ as much as the least humanly speaking person is part of the body of Christ. We are all in this body together. It's not optional. Now, it's interesting, sometimes you come across, and actually post-COVID, I think this is true, that you, you often come across people who say, oh, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be involved. Yes, I'm a Christian, but I don't need to be involved in the church. I don't need to serve in the church or go to church or worship with my brothers and sisters. But I don't think that's true because I don't think you can choose to be part of the body or not. You are a part of the body. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would for not for that reason stop being part of the body. It's not optional. You're part of the body. So your place in the body is undisputed. Now, um, that's the first point. That's a global thing. We are brothers and sisters with the church throughout history around the world. For the next three points, I want to bring it down to the local. What does it mean for us locally, and particularly at SML? What does that mean for us? How does this belonging to the body globally and historically and generally, well, how does that apply to us here at SML? So let's go on to the next point. So my second point is this. We need each other. We need you. Everyone in this room needs each other. We need each other. And I, don't, I can't overemphasize that point. Verse, th uh, verse 22. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are what? Indispensable. So what Paul is saying is that even if you feel like you are the least, the weakest, you're not. You're indispensable. Everyone in this room, as part of the body of Christ here at SML, is indispensable to the body of Christ, to this authentic community. Now, I think we get this wrong in two ways. We sometimes get this wrong in two ways, and it's to do with our attitude. And the first one, I guess, is hopefully an encouragement for us, because I think sometimes we view ourselves in the wrong way. And I'm sure some of you do this. And you start to think, well, actually, Mark says we're all indispensable, but I know I'm dispensable. Mark says that, that, we, that we're needed, but I'm not actually needed. And in verse 22 to 24, we see some possible excuses. So, for example, some people think they're too weak, or some people think that they are ashamed because they see themselves without honor or unpresentable. And maybe we even distance ourselves from involvement in the community because we see ourselves as not important or in some way shameful or some way embarrassing or somehow trivial or somehow just not needed. But Paul reminds us in verse 24 that God has put the body together, given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. If you 
look at your role within this community, this church family here, and say, I'm not important, then God has something for you. He says he's going to treat you with greater honor. So I hope that really encourages some of you this morning. The opposite view is also a negative and a wrong view, and that is to do with look at how we look at other people. So the first was about how we view ourselves. This is about how we look at other people, because I think sometimes... Pride gets in, and we look at the members of this community who we don't think are as impressive, or maybe we view them and think they're dishonorable, and we go, thank goodness I'm not like that. I wonder if you've ever done that. I've done that. I think that's human nature to an extent. We look at the community and we look at those that we don't find easy or that we don't like or that don't match up to what we think, and we go, oh, thank goodness I'm not like that. And pride gets in. Maybe we resent being gifted differently to some people. In verse uh, 21, it says, the eye might end up saying to the hand, I don't need you. Or the head says to the feet, I don't need you. But we do need you. And we mustn't ever get to that position where we think we can do it without that person or without that person. We need each other. Now, the problem is these negative attitudes... They're a lose-lose. And a church community, it's, it's such a negative thing. It's a lose-lose. It's a lose for the person who's outside and not involved, and it's a loss for the community themselves. In other words, if, if you are someone who's not fully involved and part of the community and serving and worshipping together, then you aren't developing and growing, and you miss out. But equally, and this is really important, if you don't come, the whole community is diminished. It makes that statement in our life group vision. In our life group vision, one of the subpoints is that everyone goes when they can to life group because the group is diminished if the person doesn't turn up. Now, I know we don't always feel like that. How often do we think, oh, I've got nothing to contribute. I don't really make much difference. But I don't think that's the point. We're all indispensable. And so if you don't come and be part of the community, whether it's the big community like here on a Sunday or whether it's um, a life group or whether it's a ministry area or a small group, if you don't rock up, that community is diminished. And you're diminished as well. But the community is diminished. We need you. One more point on this one. Oh, sorry, two more points. I'm going to throw an extra point in. There's, there's this story in Acts 6, which I don't know if you remember, which always struck me as being slightly odd. And the, the kind of senior apostles and disciples are saying, we're too busy to look after the distribution of food and to wait on tables um, because we've got the important things to do by, clearing the ta- uh, by preaching and you know, doing all the spiritual stuff. And I had a problem with this because I used to think, actually, no, you know, these guys should have been the ones getting their hands dirty, serving on the tables and, and, and sorting out the food for the widows and stuff. And what they do, if you remember the story, is they find, they find people who can come and do that job so they can be free to do the other jobs. And I remember, I always struggle with this because I think that's against everything I'm saying. It's like a hierarchy. But what I've realized, and I've realized that this week, is this is my worldview, which is wrong. Because I am imp- imp- imposing, uh, imposing? Imp- I can't remember what the word is. I am placing onto that context my view that somehow preaching is more important than serving at tables. 
And so when I read that story, I go, oh, how arrogant of those pre- of the apostles to say that they're, gonna, they're too busy for those low jobs. But they're not saying that. Well, I don't know if they're saying that, but I sense, seeing as Paul's written this in Corinth, I suggest that the first apostles had a much better worldview than I've got. And so for them, they didn't view serving on tables as any better or worse. They viewed it all as indispensable. So I think actually that story is a great story because actually it's saying who is gifted at that? And who is gifted at that? And who's doing too much of that, which means that's being neglected? And who's doing not enough of that, which means that they're having to do it? And I think actually it's a much more level story. I still struggle with it a bit, so I'm going to have to wrestle with it. But I think it's a much more of a level story because their worldview is more like Paul is talking and not what my worldview is. It's interesting that one of those people that was chosen to serve on tables and look after the widows and feed them was Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr. And if you read about Stephen, what an incredible man he was. And he was the one that was chosen for the little job of serving on tables. See how my, do you see how my worldview is wrong there? The other thing, quickly on this point, I just must say, because I think this is important, and, and this is speaking to myself, and it's speaking to Andy, and it's speaking to others in leadership positions, is that we have a, a responsibility to recognize and train and nurture you in your gifts and your roles. And maybe even sort of dig out your hidden talents that we don't know, because there will be hidden talents out there. There'll be people sat here who could do things that currently you're not doing because maybe even you don't realize you could do it. And the responsibility of life group leaders and clergy and other leaders within SML is to find those little nuggets of gold and say, where is that person? Actually, do you know what? They could be really good at that. And that comes by talking and getting to know each other and praying and, and learning what each other are like. But I think that's a really important point. So that's a challenge for me. Okay, that's next point. We're, we're whizzing through. We differ from one another. This is so important. Just as we are indispensable, every member of this community is unique and distinctive. And I think this difference is God's intention. Verse uh, 18, we're reminded that God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. He has made the physical body to be perfect, you know, I'm not, I know we're not perfect, you know what I mean. Perfect in a way it works together. And he has made his spiritual family, the spiritual body, to work together. I think this is unique. I think this is unique. The church is or should be countercultural. How can such different people all belong to one organization? And that's what we find in the church. And I think it's only because God sustains it. Only God who made us different can hold us all together in unity. And we ought to relish our differences and capitalize on our differences. Verse 17 says, If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Which is like, yeah, obvious. But I think that's something to celebrate. That's to celebrate that we're not all eyes. We're not all noses. We're not all ears. We're not all hands. We are all different. Again, there's a challenge in this. We need to make sure that we avoid imbalance. We need to make sure that every part is playing its part. But also we mustn't try to function in a role that we're not meant to be. 
We mustn't resent the fact that some people are hands and we're just a foot. Or we're a nose and they're an ear. We mustn't resent that. We must learn to be functioning in the role we're meant to be. But there's also a huge encouragement with this. And I think some, one or two of you need to hear this. The encouragement from this is you don't need to do everything. And I'm trying not to look at anyone in the face now because I know there's one or two of you who, who are like that. You know, I'm, you know, sometimes in churches there is a small handful of people who do much more than everyone else put together. And you're wonderful people and you give so generously. But, but sometimes we need to say, actually, I don't need to do everything. I, don't, I need to be released to do what God is asking me to do without the guilt of not doing everything. And if that's you, I really want you to hear that. I, I want you to hear that in the, in the spirit it's meant. That's a, that's, a, that's a huge affirmation of who you are and your generosity of time, your generosity of heart, your generosity of spirit. But please don't do everything because you can't do everything. And that's not how an authentic community works. Finally, for last point, we are, um, this is really important, we are to care for one another. Because up until now, all I've been talking about is what we do. And it's right that we do stuff. It's right that we do kids' ministry. It's right that we do evangelism. It's right that we do uh, the soup run. It's right that we do the New Wine Discipleship Year. But actually, just as important, if not more important, is not just what we do, but it's who we are together, how we are together. And we are to care for one another. Verse 25 so that there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for one another. There should be no division in the body, but its parts should have equal concern for each other. There's two parts. There's division and there's concern. The division, we need to recognize how much we depend on each other, how much we need each other, because this is the incentive to avoid division. When, when the church is divided, whether it's divided on a big scale or divided in small ways, in small relationships, one-to-one -one or whatever, when there's division in the body, it hurts. And, and, you know, stretching Paul's metaphor of the body is amputation. It hurts when the body is divided. And Paul says, we must, you know, we, he appeals to us in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, I appeal to you that there ought not to be division. But we know there is no guarantee against division. And division does hurt, and it does happen in the church. And, and I know several of you have experienced that, either here or at other churches. There is sometimes division, and there's no guarantee. But the more authentic we live as a community, the more that we uh, have this attitude where I need you, and the more that we celebrate our differences, the more chance we have, I think, of avoiding division. It won't, it's not a guarantee, it's not a, it's, not, it's not a scientific formula, but if we begin to really say to each other, I need you, and we begin to say, I celebrate the difference that I see in you, then we've got a greater chance of avoiding this painful division. And secondly, we, we are to be, have an equal concern for one another. Paul says we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I think a true community does that. And we're able to cry with each other when we see each other crying. 
And when we've had good news, we're able to celebrate with each other about the good news. I think Matt touched on this. He certainly did at the 8.45 last week. Because the key about this is we have to know each other. Because actually, we're very British, aren't we? And we're not very good at, at revealing how we feel. So it's only when we really get to know each other that we can see when someone's really weeping or see when they've had good news and rejoice with them. It's only when we know each other that we can walk with people. That's why life groups are so good, because actually in life groups, most life groups know when a member is hurting. Because most life groups are these communities where people feel able to hurt publicly. One interesting point about this rejoicing or weeping when they're rejoicing is weeping is that the weeping is a lot easier. Isn't it easier when someone comes to you and they're upset about something? Isn't it easier to feel that and to weep with them? But I think it's harder, and this is what I've read this week as well, it's harder to rejoice with people, it is for me anyway, because sometimes then a little bit of envy can creep in. Because if someone's had a great result or a great bit of success, we can look at them and go, well, I wish I had that. And it's harder to be so humble and gracious that you celebrate even if you're lacking. But when they're weeping, we feel in a position of power, don't we? Because we're not going through what they're going through. So it's easier to feel with them and to be with them because we're all right. But when they're having a great time and we might not be, then it's really hard. I think that's something that the Holy Spirit really needs to, to, to work in us, that ability to rejoice with people, to celebrate. Do you know what? I've, I think I find that really hard. Do you know what? Sometimes I find it harder to rejoice in those who are weeping. That's a confession, isn't it? because it makes me feel better about myself. That's wrong. That's not right. Sometimes when other people are having a hard time, it makes me feel better about myself because I'm not having that hard time. So, oh, blah, it's a confession. I think it's hard, though. It's, it, it, it's easier to weep with people when they weep because we can feel it. But sometimes when they're having a great time, we need to be gracious and we need to be humble and we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us celebrate what they're going through, even when you're not going through the same. Okay, time to finish. Um, verse 24 says this. As we have seen... Sorry, that's the end of the verse. Verse 24 tells us that God has put the body together. God has put the body together. Now, this word put together in the original language meant mixing of different parts for a specific purpose. The mixing of different parts for a specific purpose. And because of that meaning, it was often used in ancient Greek to describe color mixing. And an artist would put together the right colors to get the right effect. And I think, as I finish, that's a beautiful picture for what an authentic community could be. All the colors mixing together to make a beautiful work of art. Let's be honest, at SML, we are short of some colours at the moment. We are colours, we are short of uh, people in kids' team, particularly leaders in the kids' team. We're short of life group leaders. We're short of welcome team and refresh team who make the coffee. If I'm really honest, we're short of people who give regularly. We'll hear a bit more about that next week. Sometimes at Rise, I think we're short of people who turn up and pray. 
Now, I know we, loads of you do loads of stuff, so don't take that as a, this is not a guilt trip. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement saying we are short as a community because not everyone is adding their colour. And we need you to add your colour. Because if you don't add your colour, not only are you diminished, but we as a family, as a community, are diminished. So our prayer is that as we become a more authentic community, this blend of multicolours, we would know more firmly that we belong to each other. We'd be better at acknowledging that we need one another. We'd be better at celebrating the difference we see. And we really would care deeply for one another as we allow God to blend our colours together. Amen.